Revelation chapter 4. And uh, the big idea is the throne. Verse 1 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a, a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. I, at once I was in the Spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. John, the apostle, is in prison. He's in a prison cell. He's chained to the wall of the cave, probably. And he's in a tight place. But even in that tight place, God can open up a door and he slips up into heaven. And he has this powerful vision. And the first thing he sees is God seated on a throne. My whole of the message last week was about this throne. That God is seated on a throne. Then by the end of chapter 4, for, and the vision carries on, and I'll pick up there. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. So if you're tracking with this vision, we're kind of looking over the shoulder of John as he's having this vision. He's, I'm glad he writes it down. The first thing, our eyes are on this throne. And our eyes are on the one who's seated on the throne. But as the vision continues, now our eyes are on what's in his hand. A scroll, which is a book. And with writing in it. But it's sealed. It's closed. What does the scroll represent? It represents the secret purposes and plans of God. It, it represents God's plans for the history of the world, for every empire in the history of the world, every life, your life included. Uh, it represents the answers to the questions that we carry so heavily on our hearts. I mean, did you notice that John is crying when he sees the scroll and he finds out that he can't read it? It's, it's locked up. You see, John has got questions. One, he is in prison. Every other of the apostles is already dead, killed for their faith. And the church at this stage is a tiny, persecuted minority under the tyranny of the world's superpower, Rome. And he's saying, God, how could you let this happen? What are you doing? What could possibly be achieved through this kind of suffering? So he's got questions. And the answers are at that school, but you can't read it. Verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6. Then I saw, so he turns around to look at this lion of Judah. So he looks up. He'll wait to see this lion. Where's the lion? But he's surprised to see, not a lion, he's surprised to see something else. Then I saw a lamb. Looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So you see that first? Our eyes are on the throne. Then our eyes are on the one who seated on the throne. Now our, then our eyes are on the scroll. Now our, our eyes are on the Lamb who's taking the scroll. This vision in Revelation chapter 5 centers on Jesus. Jesus is the glorious center of heaven. And is the glorious center of human history. And I propose he's meant to be the glorious center of your life and my life. And the glorious center of our church. And in this message, I want to persuade us 
why he is worthy to be the glorious center of our lives. What's so special about Jesus? In this vision, we see five things. Number one, Jesus opens up reality. Jesus opens up reality. He alone is qualified to open the scroll. Not Plato or Socrates or any of the famous philosophers of the past. Not Isaac Newton or Einstein or any of the decoders of the material universe's mysteries. Jesus alone can fully unlock the meaning of reality, of history, of your story. Atheism teaches us that we are merely animated pieces of meat, a collection of chemicals, and there's no real reason or rhyme behind anything that happens in our lives. And in fact, we live in a generation, particularly in the West, that struggles with a sense of meaninglessness, especially since COVID has come and the world is so divided and polarized in so many issues. You see a rising trend in nihilism, this feeling in the next generation that nothing matters. I don't matter. It's all pointless. We're all going to die and be forgotten anyway. But no, there is a purpose. And when we open our life to Christ, meaning invades the meaninglessness that once invaded my life. By the way, last year we did a six-month series going through 2 Corinthians. And the leaders of Signal, we decided we want to start this year with a topical series. In other words, we want to ask a question that is pressing. And then for several weeks, see what the Bible says to it. And the question that we want to tackle for the next six weeks is, uh, what am I meant to do with my life according to Jesus? What am I meant to do with my life according to Jesus? So if you've got any sense of curiosity about the reason to get out of bed in the morning, and what you mean, what bull's eye is for your life, I propose the next six weeks, you're going to get uh, very clear, compelling answers from Scripture. And uh, so we're calling the series Purpose. And I encourage you to invite uh, friends or family that uh, don't normally come to church. We won't make them stand up. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> what makes Jesus a worthy center for our lives? What's so special about him? Well, firstly, Jesus opens up reality. But secondly, Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. One of the elders says, see the Lion of Judah has triumphed. A lion. Have you ever met a lion? Have you ever been in the presence of a lion? Uh, Julie and I once stayed in a lion park in, uh, in Zimbabwe. And we were surrounded by 50 lions in a house. And we try to sleep that night. You try to sleep when there are lions roaring. Their, their, their roar is so piercing, so penetrating, it felt like they were in the room with us. We really struggled to sleep. It was a terrifying experience. Not just the look of them. Not just their ability to take down the biggest prey. The roar of authority. Jesus is a lion. He's an authoritative king. He has the highest place. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, says one scripture. But think about it. If Jesus is the rightful king of the universe, and if he's the rightful king of your life, that means that we might to be, need to be dethroned. Which comes at a, as a total shock to our generation. Because we are the generation uh, that is glorifies self. We've been taught that you are on your throne. And nobody should tell you what to believe. No one should tell you how to behave. And then along comes Jesus and upends all of that. In fact, one of the reasons for the success of the New Age movement or uh, the new spiritual consciousness is the way that it offers a spirituality 
But don't worry, you are still the leader of your life. You still get to sit on the throne. In his book, Bad Religion, the writer and religious scholar uh, Ross Duthat describes our new age God within theology as, I'm quoting him, a faith that is at once cosmopolitan and comforting, promising all of the pleasures of exoticism without any of the pain. A mystical pantheism in which God is an experience rather than a person it's startling how little moral exhortation there is in the pages of the God within literature. Oh, there are frequent calls to compassion and kindness, but little guidance for people facing actual dilemmas. And what guidance there is often amounts to, if it feels good, do it. And then along comes Jesus, who is the roaring lion, who alone is worthy of, seat, of being seated on the throne of our lives. So what's so special about Jesus? Why center your life in this church around him? Firstly, Jesus opens up reality. Second, Jesus is the Lion of Judah. But notice thirdly, Jesus is the slain lamb. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, verse 6. A lamb, a, a lamb has been slain, but now he's alive. Why a lamb? What is the significance of a lamb? Well, for 1,300 years, the ancient Jewish people would sacrifice lambs annually at Passover time in Jerusalem, one lamb per family, to commemorate how God once rescued them from Egyptian slavery through the sacrifice of the lamb. And in fact, when Jesus uh, walks into the Gospels and John the Baptist is baptizing people, he looks up and he has a vision and he sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it's remarkable that Jesus is crucified in Jerusalem. During Passover, the same time, thousands of innocent lambs were being sacrificed. And all of those sacrifices are symbolic. They point to the ultimate lamb, the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the world that sets God's people free. free. Sets God's people free. Verse 9, they're worshipping and they say, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons. The lamb purchases us. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Him. Purchases uh, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You know, uh, the Jesus following movement starts off in a very homogenous Jewish culture. But the vision of the land is to see all tribes and languages, a great uh, diversity of people gathered together. And one of the things that we dream of as a church is greater diversity, a diversity of age. And diversity of, of culture. And uh, we're getting there. We trust God for, for even a more colorful future in, in, in this church. Because this is the, the vision of the Lamb. And then it says, you, are, you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. The Lamb elevates us. He doesn't just rescue us from sins. He makes us priests. This means we get to represent God to the world. He makes us kings. This means that we get to reign in the world and execute the will of God in our generation. Hey, what makes Jesus a worthy center for our lives? What's so special about Him? Number one, Jesus opens up reality. Number two, Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Number three, Jesus is the slain Lamb. And on that point, I'd love to call up my friends Jeremy and Bridget, who are going to share their story of encountering Jesus in a way that revolutionized their lives. Just a little bit about them. I made friends with them through my years in Common Ground. They, um, they helped pioneer an exciting NGO in Cape Town um, called Hope Africa. And uh, now they are on the leadership team of a church in Northern California called Bethel. And I uh, hung out with them last night and they shared with me 
how Jesus restored them out of a place of brokenness. And I was like, oh, please tell us about that tomorrow. So, go for it. Wow, thanks, Karen. <laughs> Guys, this is a sweet place. Just such a sweet presence here. And as, you know, as I was just kind of sitting there and through worship, just being like, Jesus, what do you, what do you want us to share with these guys? I was really moved with the story of Mary and her heart of just tender, extravagant affection for Jesus. And I just felt the Lord saying, before I move on to what we want to share, I just felt the Lord saying that, that he sees and he smells and he is moved by the fragrance of your oil. That it's been costly at times for you. It's, it's been a, a time of brokenness perhaps for some, where you've really had to make a choice to break open that alabaster box and for this costly oil on Jesus' feet. But I, you know, the honor in the heart of Jesus for Mary as she does this extravagant display of affection and of love for him. And Jesus is moved. And I just hear him saying that your, the oil that you poured on his feet, you have moved the heart of Jesus. That he's actually made his heart, in a sense, vulnerable to your affection and you removed him and uh, he's thankful he's thankful for the price you pay in your worship for him um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my wife loves to preach um, uh, yeah just sharing with Taryn yesterday even just the we've you know for, for years he's, we've kind of gone through some some similar journeys in different ways, and for for us, we, we came here to South Africa back in 09, but moved here in 2011, and launched this organization, Hope Africa Collective, out in Haleicha, Philippi area, doing a lot of different things in relation to social development, economic development, we run a, a Bible school there as well, that's linked with South African Theological Seminary for pastors in the townships. And throughout the process, I, I'm like power driving at things, you know, as, as we often do in, when we have this kind of mission and, you know, God says, hey, I, you know, here's a great word that you can go after. And so we went after it. But as we kind of went through these different things and we went through a, a number of, of difficulties in our own life, we've, we've lost our first child, our middle son over there is a miracle baby, you know, he, uh, survived a number of surgeries and things when we moved here. We've had gunmen at our house, cars stolen. I've been nearly killed out in the townships. We've had a slew of different things, but our ministry was just charging, you know? And so we just keep pushing on. And and for for me, as I think for many of us, when you're going through hardships sometimes, you can just kind of keep going after that thing while neglecting, really looking at that internal soul care type of journey. And that's what really, for, for myself, what I, what I did is I was always performing and doing. And even when I had sin in my life, when I had lies I believed since childhood, when I had shame, various things, I just over overperformed, you know, the heck out of whatever I was doing in life to, uh, to draw identity from, from those spaces. And I was telling Taryn yesterday, I said, God really brought me into a place of just being with him. And... 
I, I came to a point here in South Africa before we moved to California where I kind of just, I, I let, a lot, let a lot of my kind of disciplines and things I was doing burn up. And God just really busted a lot of these boxes as I chose to just be with him. I spent a lot of time in, in silence. And, and in these times of silence where I would just do what's called centering prayer meditation, where I would just focus on Jesus and allow other things to, to not, you know, I'm not going to be thinking about anything else. I just keep turning my focus and my attention on Jesus. And I started to have these encounters with him that I've never had before where I wasn't drawing identity from what I was doing or what I was accomplishing. And I started to have these very vivid pictures at that time with him in a place like, and I felt like I was in like Vietnam, some lush forest, you know, waterfalls and rivers. And, and as we moved away, the Lord just deepened these, these times where I would have these deep, deep, deep encounters with him. I told Taryn, I said it altered the course of my DNA. I remember one time I was in a, in a worship time, and all of a sudden it was, it was like I wasn't in that worship time anymore. And I was, I was gone in this place with Jesus, and I was standing under this huge waterfall. Um, not under it, but right next to it. And Jesus was standing there, he had his bathing suit on, and, uh, and he just, you know, he, he takes my, kind of puts his hand on my chest and slowly pushes me under this, this waterfall. And as I'm staying there, I can just feel it down on me. I could physically, physically feel it. And if I could also feel it permeating into my, my very being. And he just said these words. He says, Jeremy, this waterfall, which I couldn't see the top of, he said, is my love and my goodness for you that are never ceasing, never ending. It's this forceful thing that you can't, you can't, uh, you, I couldn't wrap my mind around the force that's coming on me. And it really just it broke so much in my spirit that was all about where I was drawing my, my identity from, where I was drawing my kind of uh, my worth and my value. And I started to, to have that DNA shift of my worth and my value and where I lived from being his, his love and goodness. And I remember at one point in our time in California, God just brought me into this season where I was just chose. I said, you know what? I'm going to choose raw vulnerability, authenticity. I'm just, I'm not going to have any facades or strength. I'm just pushing up. And we had some powerful times, just the two of us in our lounge room, in our house, and the Holy Spirit just coming as this wise counselor and just undoing, you know, so much myself. I, I remember telling my wife, I said, man, I feel the weakest I've ever felt in my life. But then we were at church the following Sunday. And um, <clears throat> as a disclaimer, in some of the work we've done in the townships, I've experience what tear gas feels like before <clears throat> and so I was standing there in, in church just worshiping and I started to feel this burning come like on my face and on my body like quite intensely and not but the kind of burning that I didn't want to, to stop I immediately had kind of pictures of Moses at the burning bush and things like that to the point where like my tears were like you know, I could feel them as they ran down my face, my nose, my throat. And I remember falling back into my chair and I could hear laughter in my, in my earthly ears from heaven. And, and I could just hear the Trinity just speaking, I am joyful in who you are. You bring me joy. And just stepping into this season of sonship birthed from his love and his goodness, birthed from the joy of the Lord. You know, we oftentimes say the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I remember the Lord just saying to me, my joy 
and who you are is your strength. And just living from that posture, you know, I oftentimes say the posture of surrender is the posture of receiving as well. Now, as we just, we just say, man, I just lay it all down. We receive his love and his goodness, his grace for the season that we're in, and his mercy like, like never before.
which is really unique in the world that we're in right now because it's just a, a clamor of different things from different angles and that this is a real season where the, the Father's just saying, hey, you have my grace to just be and sit in stillness and, and rest with, with him. Thanks so much, Charles. That was outstanding. When I, after hanging out with him last night, I said to Judy, I said, I said, um, you know what, I just I felt is I want what they've got because I used to, I used to carry a closer daily intimacy to Jesus than I now have. And a lot of it had to do with some very painful experiences where you feel yourself kind of pulling in and I'm slowly coming out. But if I think about for the years, I mean, you said to me, uh, Jeremy, you said there's whole days where you feel like you're more in the spirit than your body. Uh, obviously, we both in our body, but that what happened here, what we're reading in Revelation, John in the spirit, seeing the throne, living your life with that, that almost palpable sense of God with you, fellowship in God. And I, I, I want more of that in my life, and it's so inspiring. They prayed for me for that, and, I, and I'm trusting God to grow me in that area again and in a whole new way. So thank you for sharing with us. And this church, we are hungry for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we hope to hang out with you again in the future, next time you come to Cape Town. Okay, what's so awesome about Jesus? Why center our lives around Him? Why center our church around Him? Well, firstly, He opens up reality. He, he is the Lion of Judah. He is the slain Lamb. But the fourth one, listen carefully. Jesus is Lion and Lamb at the same time. He's lion and lamb at the same time. But think about that. Lion speaks of strength, authority, confidence. Do you know any people that are strong, authoritative, confident? But lamb speaks of, of weakness, vulnerability, innocence, accessibility, approachability, tenderness. Do you know any people like that? How many people do you know who are both at the same time? Jesus is both. I mean, look at his earthly life. One day he's on his knees with kids on his lap. The next he's flipping tables over in the temple. One day he's touching an untouchable leper. The next he's scaring down Pilate and Herod, the most feared men of his day. One day he's being led like a lamb to a slaughter as he is crucified. And days later he triumphs over death and resurrection. So there's a beauty in the fact that Jesus holds in himself qualities that you didn't know could be in one person. He is a roaring lion, but he's also a slain lamb. He carries the scepter of authority, but he also carried the cross. He has risen, but he's also gone down to the depths. He is majestic, but he is also meek. He is king, but he is also kind. He stands tall, is exalted to the heavens, but he also stoops down to scoop us in, onto his chest. He is seated on the throne, but he's also walked in our shoes. He receives our tributes and worship, but he also washes our feet. That's why we can never, not for a million years, get bored with Jesus. <laughs> he holds in himself these diverse, exquisite qualities. He's the best kind of being that could possibly exist. And the more we spend time with them, the more these same qualities begin to hold in our lives. Some of us, by temperament, temperament are more lamb-like. 
Well, he doesn't do away with that, but he, he, he weaves in some lion. And some of us are more lion-like, and he weaves in some lamb. What makes Jesus a worthy center for our life? What's so special about him? Well, he opens up reality. He's the lion of Judah. He's the lamb. He is lion and lamb at the same time. And our final point, Jesus is part of the triune God. Jeremy, while he was talking to us, spoke about the Trinity said to me. I just watched the Matrix uh, Resurrections where <laughs> Trinity is one of the characters. Trinity is one of the coolest words in the English language. It's not a Bible word, funny enough. If you've ever had a talk with a Jehovah's Witness, they go, you believe in the Trinity? If you're a Christian, you go, yeah. And they go, show me in the Bible where it says Trinity. And you're like, it's not in there? No. And then they say, no, no, the Trinity is a construct. Well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. The word Trinity is a theological summary for what is all over the Bible. All over the Bible, you see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit together. So, just think about the verses we read. Did you notice the Trinity in there? Maybe you didn't. Let me help you see it. Did you spot the Father? Well, chapter 4 climaxes the worship worthiness of the one who's on the throne. There's the Father seated on the throne. Do you spot the Son? Well, when you first spot the Lamb, where is He standing? At the center of the throne. Verse 6. He's also on the throne. So not only God the Father on the throne, Jesus is on the throne too. Did you spot the Holy Spirit? Maybe <laughs> you didn't. But here it is. The Lamb has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Last week, I said that this is symbolic language. The book of Revelation is full of symbolism. The seven spirits speaks about the one Holy Spirit. You see, in the Jewish literature of the day, Jews were well versed in Isaiah 11, which speaks about the sevenfold Holy Spirit that would rest on the Messiah. Speaks about the Spirit who rests upon us. The Spirit who gives us might and understanding and counsel and uh, wisdom. And the Spirit who gives us the fear of God and the Spirit who gives us the knowledge of God. These seven qualities. So when it speaks about the seven Spirit, it's speaking about the one Spirit that brings about these seven things in our lives. These seven things that rest, rest on Jesus. And beautifully, we told the seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven Spirits of God. What does a horn represent? A lamb with seven horns? Well, in the Bible, the word horn represents strength. You see, Jesus ministers with supernatural power. When the Spirit of God comes on him, the horn of strength comes upon him. And uh, what do the eyes represent? These strange seven eyes. Well, eyes represent knowledge. Again, Jesus, through the Spirit, ministers with supernatural knowledge. So my point is... You've got God seated on the throne. You've also got the Lamb at the center of the throne. And you've got the Spirit on the Lamb all in the center of the throne. You've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all at once. Trinity. See, it's in the Bible. The word's not there, but the idea pervades the Bible. So Jesus is a worthy center of our lives. But are you sure you can worship Him? Can you worship Jesus? Well, let me give you a winding answer as I bring in this talk. If there is one thing that stirs our worship, it is Christ the Lamb. In chapter 4, you've got the 24 elders representing the people of God and the four living creatures. And they worship God as creator. But now in verse 9, it says the same uh, 24 elders and the same living creatures worship a new song. They've always worshipped God as creator. But now they're singing a new song, John notices. What is it they're worshipping? They, they're saying, this is the new song. With your blood, you purchase people for God. You see, when they sing of Christ as Redeemer, the worship gets kaleidoscopic, super 
supersonic and quadraphonic. Let me explain. It's as though the camera pans out in this vision. And suddenly we see a massive choir uh, who joins in the song. A choir of a hundred million angels joining in the chorus. Listen to it, verse 11. Then I looked, the camera pans out, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. Eli, what's 10,000 times 10,000? Work it out. Fern, Ivy. My kids love maths challenges. I did it already. It's a hundred million. There's a lot of angels worshipping. And, uh, they encircle the throne in a loud voice. They say, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. But it doesn't stop there. The worship only gets hotter. The camera pans out some more. And now we see billions of earthly creatures, including birds and land animals and sea creatures and human beings joining in. It says this, Then I heard every creature in heaven and every creature on earth and every creature under the earth and every creature on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Did you see that? They're not just worshipping the one who sits on the throne. They're worshipping the Lamb too. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power. That's the end of my message. I didn't really think I was going to end this one. That's a pretty good end, I think. It's going to ask us to stand up. James, if you wouldn't mind coming up and just leading us in a, in a, in a chance to express our praise of God. Jesus, thank you that you are the Lamb who is seated on the throne, that you're the Lion of Judah, that you're the one who opens the scroll of meaning in our lives, that you are simultaneously at the same time Lamb and Lion, and you're part of the triune God. It's completely appropriate and right to worship you. And God, the single church, we want to be a worshiping community. We want to be part of that throng of worshippers. God, there's something on this community. There is a calling to worship. There is a empowering by the Spirit to worship. Make us a worshiping community, Lord. Whatever it is we do as a people, however we live our lives, uh, taking our faith to work or reaching out to our friends who are far from God or living out our lives in families or in friendship groups, Lord, let it all come, let it all flow out of that throne room encounter with you. Where we live in your love, we live under your leadership, and we live in your grace and your mercy and your power. I'm going to ask James just to minister. James, we're not going to sing along with you. You can just sing. And I want to encourage you just for the next while to be um, reaching out for, a, for God's presence.